Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 438 of the Battery Power Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on Sunday, March 3rd, and I'm joined, as I often am, by my friend Scott Coleman. Scott, we were already going to preview the Braves' outfield on this podcast, and then uh, our lead became dictated for us, basically, as a result of some news over this week. How are you on this Sunday evening? Hey, Brad, I'm doing well. I think I am holding my breath a little bit with this uh, news on Ronald Acuna Jr. and the meniscus in his knee. We're going to talk about that quite a bit, quite obviously. And then also just a lot of excitement with Michael Harris and Jared Kelnick and a few others. But overall, the vibes have been good in the spring other than the Ronald Acuna Jr. Just kind of out of the blue, it felt like. I don't know. I mean, let's hope. And I guess we should preface this that we're recording on Sunday night. We may know more come Monday morning, Monday afternoon, but let's hope it's just some soreness and and nothing more than that. Yes, that will be our lead story in a second. I am contractually obligated, not really, but I guess I probably am under some uh, on some level to tell everybody to subscribe to this podcast. If you happen to found to find us because of the Ronnie injury or something like that, or Google searches or whatever, we are uh, regularly here on the podcast, and uh, you should subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, um, in addition to this flagship show, which is hosted by myself and by Scott. We have three episodes, sorry, three different shows on this same podcast network. We have The Daily Hammer with Sean Coleman, and we also have the podcast we named later with Chris Willis and Stephen Tolbert. So uh, in the event that there is some news, sort of way to tie it in, we might have some uh, more content later on this week from Sean or from me and Scott or from Chris and Steven, et cetera. You will have some reaction no matter what happens with Ronald Acuna. But with that out of the way, Scott tees it up well. Uh, the big news is Ronnie's knee. So he tweaks it uh, during Thursday's game. And just as a reminder, this is the same knee in which he tore his ACL. It cost him the uh, the balance or with the rest of the season in 2021. He then took batting practice on Friday as reports podcast on Sunday, he was in the lineup at one point on Friday morning. He was then scratched. He had an MRI, which revealed, quote, irritation, end quote, in his meniscus in that knee. And then uh, some scheduled additional evaluation on Monday in Los Angeles. Um, the reason why he's going to Los Angeles is because the surgeon who actually performed the surgery on his knee in the first place a couple years ago is the same surgeon that will see him on Monday. Uh, after all that kind of broke the Braves pretty clearly leaked to multiple reporters that they expected him to be ready for opening day. And that was after the MRI came in um, from there, you know, much more news. Anthopolis was pretty upbeat snicker a little bit less. So he actually basically said that everyone's holding the breath. He didn't use those words, but the way that he was basically saying like, we'll know on Monday kind of thing. Um, that's kind of where we are right now. I have to say, unless you have a different take than I do, Scott, it kind of is a waiting game. This is not fantastic at the very least, but um, we're in this odd spot where this is when we record the podcast. And uh, I guess it would have been better off recording until the middle of the day on Monday, but you and I have jobs. So here we are holding our breath. Yes. Holding our breath. Let's hope it's nothing serious. Uh, you know, one thing I'll, I'll say, the Braves originally scratched Acuna as precautionary. And quite obviously when you're talking about, I think it was March 1st, of course, you're going to be careful with the reigning National League MVP and then to send Ronald out to Los Angeles, he had his surgery done a couple of years ago by Neil Elitrosh, who is like a, a globally renowned surgeon. He is the best of the best. He does surgeries for basically all of the superstars in your professional sport of choice. So I think it's just probably the Braves doing their due diligence and making sure Ronald's knee is okay. I guess it's a good sign if, if you, you know, the glass half full take is 
The good sign is that he had an MRI and it was nothing immediately wrong. But at the same time, you and I are, are not doctors and we, of course, are not privy to those MRI scans. So uh, it's natural anytime a player as talented as Ronald has a knee issue, especially in one when he did have the ACL a couple of years ago, naturally it's going to be concerning. And I, you know, I guess it's it kind of plays in with our Braves team preview that even if Ronald needs to miss a little bit of time to begin the season, there's just so much talent and depth in this lineup that the Braves are going to be okay. Quite obviously, this is a much, much better team when Ronald Acuna is at the top of the lineup, but they do have the depth to be able to withstand something like this should it need to happen, and, and let's hope nothing comes of it. Yeah, that's a pretty good sort of primer on where the Braves would be either way here. You know, right now projected with Ronnie in the lineup, of course, they have this is actually just comically high. They have a 98.6% chance to make the playoffs, according to Fangraphs. That just seems impossibly high. But then you remember that this is a, this is the expanded playoff field. Um, they are lower to win the division, of course, still 88%, but that's obviously a lot different than 99%. But, you know, you throw in an injury to Ronnie, that would obviously come down if we knew it was going to be a long time. They did famously win the World Series without him. Um, even if that was not the best team of this era, we wouldn't say they happened to be hot at the right time. And we, we just don't know. Um, one thing that we should at least acknowledge or talk about for a second is, you know, they don't have a ton of depth as we'll talk about later on in this podcast is again, this is our outfield preview episode ostensibly. The fourth outfielder job is actually still up for grabs and anything beyond that. They don't have um, a very obvious guy to step in and start and play every day right now with Ronnie. Um, if you would, if you were to miss, let's say two weeks or four weeks or whatever, whatever time it is, if it's longer than a, than a couple of days, they don't have the ideal guy. Um, I think it, it would obviously depend on how long he was going to be out um, as to how much pressure there would be on Anthopolis to go out and make, an, uh, make a move to add someone outside the organization. But I don't know, Scott, let's just say hypothetically, we have a good idea, at least the team does have a good idea that, he's, that he would be back by you know, April 15th. So he'd miss the first two and a half weeks of the season. Would that be enough for you to be aggressive if you were Anthopolis to go out and sign a free agent that's available, like for instance, Adam Duvall is available. Um, Michael Taylor's available. Old, old pal Eddie, Eddie Rosario is available. They're kind of the best of the bunch right now available on the market. Obviously you could trade for someone as well, but if we had a good idea, Ronnie would be back fairly soon. Would you just like, you know, be content rolling with what they have? And uh, obviously if, if it was a long-term uh, issue, you can sort of speak on that as well. I would say if it's only two weeks or even a month, then I would imagine they would just roll with internal options. Nobody's great off the bench, as, as we're going to talk, but I mean, they, they could cover it up if a um, Jordan Luplo has to stand out there for a couple of weeks, even a month. I think they'd be fine. They're going to bat ninth and catch the baseball in right field. There is enough talent one through eight in this order that they would be fine. But that being said, if if there is something more significant in here, and let's say Ronald's not expected back until Memorial Day or some point in June, then I think you probably have to go out and add somebody. At this point in the in the spring, it's probably a buyer's market. These guys obviously as, as free agents don't have jobs, so I don't think they can be too picky and choosy with where they want to go. So I guess it is a little bit of a, a relief that there are some options in free agency of course, whenever Ronald Acuna Jr. would return, then those guys would more than likely get relegated to a full-time bench role. And I think as long as all parties know that going in, it's fine. But clearly, when the Braves' plan is for whenever all three are healthy, for Acuna, 
Michael Harris and Jared Kelnick to be their everyday starters. And that would be the case pretty much every day. It, based on co- uh, comments this spring, it seems like the Braves want to give Kelnick a chance to play every day. Of course, Michael Harris is out there every day as well. So unless there's something really wrong with the knee where Ronald's going to miss multiple months, I would imagine they just go with what they have and kind of piece it together until they get Ronald back. I think we're on the same page there. I mean, I don't want to speak for you. I would have been okay if the Braves had gone out and gotten a fourth outfielder even before this. I wasn't panicking about it by any means, but you know, if, if the Braves had acquired Adam Duvall two weeks ago, pre any qu- question about Ronnie, I would have been like, all right, that makes some sense. Just as a fourth outfielder, I think you're right in your read. And the Braves have been pretty consistent messaging wise from Snicker to Anthopolis, et cetera, that they do want Kellnick to play every day. They're not looking for a platoon partner for him necessarily. I wouldn't have minded a fourth outfielder that's a little bit more established than what they have right now. You know, if they were to have Ronnie be out for a month or something, I would think that would be a probably a decent idea to go out and find someone if the cost is, you know, not prohibitive. Number one, it's not our money, but number two, they they have the role available to where as long as, like you said, everyone understands the deal. Um, maybe you, maybe Eddie Rosario wants to come back um, and come, you know, come on, come on home, Eddie, and kind of just know that you're going to be a backup once somebody go, once Ronnie gets back. But look, there's the potential of any any number of things. You got Ozuna as the DH. If he were to get hurt or flatten out or whatever, Kelnick, if he didn't play well or got hurt, et cetera. Like there's, you know, it's a long season. There probably is playing time for any of those, you know, Duvall, Rosario, Michael Taylor types. If you were to sign them. But I do think it's going to come down to what the MRI or I guess the more extensive evaluation reveals on Monday. So uh, if you listen to this podcast after Monday, after we know the news, you will know that a lot more than we do right now. But that's kind of the lay of the land. Unless you have more to add, Scott, we'll, we'll kind of save Ronnie's player preview until later on in the podcast. But that's the uh, the breaking news portion, at least that we know right now. Well, and what's remarkable about this Braves team is let's say that Ronald needs to miss a couple of weeks or even a month which is not ideal, especially going into a season. Naturally, you want everybody healthy and firing on all cylinders. But let's say Ronald misses a month. The fact that you can just move somebody as good as Michael Harris to the leadoff spot and just kind of shift everybody else up at the bottom of the order. Sure, the Braves wouldn't be as good without Ronald. No one's saying that. But the fact that they have a legitimately talented 30-30 threat in Michael Harris who could become the leadoff hitter and then Ozzy Albies and Austin Riley and Matt Olson, even without your MVP at the top, this Braves lineup is still comfortably, for my money, a top 10 group in the game. And the fact that, I mean, just nobody can say that. No team other than maybe LA or Houston have just that kind of talent throughout the lineup, one through nine. So let's hope Ronald's out there on opening day in Philadelphia, but the Braves will take every precaution with with Ronald as they should. Yeah. And it, it's 162 games. If you're telling me he's going to miss games one through 15 or whatever it is in order to be safe and in order to get him 100%, then I'm obviously all for it. You need him. We know the Braves are going to be in the mix come August, September, hopefully deep into October. Just be smart here. And, and let's hope that they don't need to be smart in any way. And he's just prescribed a rest for a week or two. And then he's right back out there. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because they have every incentive to be careful. They're going to be careful with him. They were coming off the last injury. He didn't play every day. He wasn't you know, DH some, et cetera. They're not going to be aggressive here. No, they have no reason to be. And look, we just said that at this moment, there's no reason to believe this is going to be the case. But to your point, even if you were to just take Ronnie off the roster, the Braves would be favored to win the National League East without their best player. Yes. Uh, 
like yeah. and pretty comfortably so still they you know the margin would be a lot slimmer they're obviously worse without ronnie no one's saying otherwise like you just said but right now this is one projection but even the you know the sports books or whatever you want to look at um fangrass projects the braves to finish with a 13 game edge on the phillies <laughs> that's obviously an outrageous number but not even ronnie is worth 13 games like he's worth maybe 10 games <laughs> but uh regardless uh they're in a they're in a good spot. We, we've been pretty positive on these previews for a reason. But uh, knock on wood, hold your breath. Whatever your chosen way of waiting this out until we get word on Monday, uh, go ahead and engage that. And uh, hopefully, like Scott just said, it will be uh, all fun and games in the end. And they'll be uh, Ronnie will be out there in 25 days when the Braves open the season as we're recording this podcast right now on Sunday, March the 3rd. As far as other news... Not a ton. Uh, I know that there were some other podcasts on our network this week from Sean, Steve, and Chris about, you know, little things going on in spring. And um, we're going to generally be a little bit more broad on these preview episodes. One thing of note, and we got a lot of questions about this, was that Charlie Morton has not pitched in a game yet. He threw live BP on Thursday. And afterwards, uh, I think it was either today or yesterday, um, Snit essentially said he's going to he's going to debut in a game on Tuesday. So, uh, I guess our long national nightmare of panic about Charlie is going to be over on Tuesday. Um, I wasn't worried at all, Scott. I got to be honest with you. But um, some people, for some people, it's like if he's not if he's not pitching in a game, it's panic time. But uh, Charlie's a thousand years old. I'm not worried about his ramp up necessarily. But he will be on the mound in a game on Tuesday. Yeah, it'd be good to have Charlie out there. But you just took the words out of my mouth. Forty years old. I think this is his 18th or 19th spring training as a professional baseball player. So, uh, you know, Charlie knows what he needs to do to get his body right in time for opening day. So it'll be good to have him out there. It's been a lot of fun, too, to watch Chris Sale pitch. Uh, for those who don't know, this kind of snuck past me, but MLB TV is actually live streaming most of the Braves games. On, on television, they're not being streamed. Only something like five or six games are being televised by Bally which I'm guessing is tied to the financial issues. But MLB TV has been streaming all the Braves games with a radio broadcast overlay. So this afternoon, I was just hanging out. I was able to watch Chris Sale throw. His command was away from him a little bit. But goodness gracious, Brad, that guy has nasty stuff from the left side. I mean, it's not hard to see why five, six, seven years ago, Chris Sale was very, it was in the conversation of being the best pitcher on planet Earth. Because he has wicked stuff from the left side. His velocity has been great. Mid-upper 90s. I think he hit 97 on Sunday afternoon. Had a couple of strikeouts. He had actually finished with five over two and two-third innings. So, again, you you don't want to make too much of a deal out of a, a second spring training start on March 3rd. But as we said at the time of the trade, if Chris Sale is healthy throughout his entire career, Chris Sale has been a good two elite starting pitcher and i don't know if he necessarily has the elite of the elite still in his repertoire but man he looks really good right now and if his health can cooperate for the braves even for 25 starts 20 starts if they have him in the postseason and and down the stretch when it matters most i think we're going to look back and really like this trade for sure and we will definitely have um, some extensive preview adjacent thoughts on morton and sale coming up we have not done our rotation preview just yet so that'll be happening in the next three weeks or so at some point. Um, this is our final of the non-rotation previews. We did a bullpen preview. If you missed that, it should be available in your feed right now. Last week was the outfield preview today. Sorry, t- last week was the infield preview. Today's the outfield preview. And then we'll have the rotation as our final one of those uh, kind of position previews. And then at the end of the run-up to the record season, we will do our final predictions, which always make us look really smart, right, Scott? We never get anything wrong on this. 
I have never once made a wrong prediction on the show <laughs> in the seven years. Uh, 100% accuracy. Um, I was technically right that Kyle Wright was going to break out at some point. You were I right about just, that. Yeah. yeah. I was just like three years early is is all. But at the end of the day, he did still break out. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we're going to have to get reckless about something this time around. Maybe it'll be Michael Harris or something. Uh, there's some, some reckless takes going on, I think, between the two of us within the next three weeks. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let us change gears and focus on what the uh, meat of our episode is going to be today, and that is the outfield. We're also going to include Marcelo Zuna, uh, who obviously is the DH. Uh, he might be playing an inning of outfield at some point this year. We, we never know, but uh, he was kind of in his own section. So at the end of the show, we'll talk about Marcel. But uh, in the meantime, let's talk about Jared, Jared Kelnick a little bit. So Jared Kelnick, the recently acquired outfielder, landed with the Braves in December, former Uber elite prospect, still pretty young, 24 years old. He has not been great in the big leagues so far. He was better last season. The Braves proactively traded for him. They'd like him quite a bit from what they have said. The tools are very obvious, but I would just say this broadly speaking, uh, he is projected at least by fan projections as, as actually their worst regular. He has worse projections than Orlando Arcia. I think that Kelnick very obviously has a higher upside than Arcia, but he also has a lower floor. We, we've not seen him be consistently good in the majors, or at least consistently okay in the majors. So uh, really he's, I would argue this, I don't know about you. He's kind of the, most intriguing player on their roster right now, not necessarily in a great way, but he's definitely the biggest unknown, at least from a non-injury standpoint. I think we know what Chris Sale is going to be an injury question more than anything else. But performance-wise, Kelnick might have the widest range of anybody on the whole team. He definitely adds a component of excitement and unknowing 
And you, you said that he hasn't been super successful at the major league level. And there's a reason why the Mariners traded him for what was effectively a pretty hefty salary savings. And it's not my money. At the end of the day, I would much rather have the talented player than the financial flexibility. And that's what the Braves did. And adding Kelnick to this lineup, it just makes so much sense. And we've talked about this quite a bit over the offseason, but I mean, the tools are there, the talent is there, the situation is there. Now Jared just has to go out there and play baseball. And the fact that he's going to be hitting in the bottom third of the order pretty much all season long, I mean, I guess he could be so good that he forces himself up into the top five or six, but we know that's a really high bar to clear. He's an athletic kid. He has a good glove. He has a big-time arm, pretty good athlete. I mean, Across the board, there's a lot to like with Kelnick's profile, and the fact that he's going to be able to just kind of settle into the eighth spot in the batting order most nights, I'm really excited to see him play. <clears throat> I think he is someone who um, might need a little bit of time to just kind of settle in and make adjustments, and it's clear the Braves are going to give Kelnick a chance to play just about every day. So I hope there is some patience with him. I'm a, I'm imagining the Braves will make a couple of minor adjustments to his swing, his, you know, his load, and just kind of see what they have with this player who once upon a time was, I believe Fangraphs had him as the number three overall prospect in the game heading into 2021. There's only so many players who ever have that kind of profile going into the majors. So I'm excited to see what he can do. He has a lot of power, I think, in, in Truist Park as well. Being a left-handed bat can really help play up his skill set. So I'm very excited to see what Kelnick can do. Yeah, I agree. And uh, it's easy to be excited about him. I just, you know, it's worth, as we just kind of did, pouring a little bit of cold water potentially. Like, he does swing and miss a lot. He has a very high strikeout rate. Um, that's not necessarily a big chase rate. Like, he's been reasonably responsible in that area, just kind of, you know, swing and miss. Hits the ball hard when he hits it. In general, he did have a hot start last year, cooled off after that. Defensively, um, a little bit of an open book still. Like, I think maybe average or so has a huge arm and can run. Um, you know, this is actually a good thing to point out now. He's played a little bit of center field in his past. I actually wonder if they might have him play a little bit of right field if they needed to have Ronnie DH or something for a while or have Ronnie miss time for a while. But obviously, he's going to be a left fielder most of the time. He has a platoon split. That is notable, at least in his career, um, against you know, he's better against righties as most left-handed hitters are. But last year it kind of did kind of didn't happen that way. So that's hopefully some progress in that area. We, we kind of thought aloud back when they made the trade that they might have him platoon some, but as we said earlier, the plan seems to be play him every day. Maybe later in the year, if his platoon split is persisting, they might look to have him be a little bit more limited, have him face righties more often. Yeah. Um, we'll see. It's kind of the uh, the TBD there. I would imagine the Braves are going to have Kelnick play just about every single day until the trade deadline and really just kind of in the weeks leading up to the trade deadline and evaluate what you have. It is always easy to add a right-handed outfielder to help be the lesser side of the platoon. And let's hope he doesn't need it. I mean, quite clearly, if Kelnick can play every day and hold his own against lefties, that's only going to help. But if you do need to go out, I, I think I would be in favor of allowing him to play every single day and just kind of seeing what you have over three and a half or four months. And then if you do need to add a piece at the deadline, then go out and do it. Yeah, not to double down too much on this, but if you were going to pursue someone as Ronnie insurance or depth insurance, you might want to lean toward an Adam Duvall type who's a lefty masher. 
in the event that you need to platoon someone, if that makes sense. Like, not that you're going to do that for sure, but um, Eddie Rosario makes a lot less sense with Jared Kelnick than Adam Duvall does. And those are obviously just familiar. I'm using those names because they're available and also because they're familiar to Braves fans. But um, I think if you were, you know, all things equal, if you were going to try to add someone right now, someone that has the reverse split to Kelnick um, would be kind of logical if you were uh, allowed to do that or able to do that. Yeah, I would agree. And you know, it seemed like at some point in the winter, they were going to add that right-handed component to the outfield mix. And yep, they, they, they haven't. <laughs> they, they don't seem like they're going to. Now, maybe that changes depending on what happens in the next 24 hours with Ronald's knee. But uh, yeah, it just, it makes sense to see what you have with Kelnick. Um, you know, give him a chance to go out there, get 600 plate appearances and find out not only for this season, but is he a, a long-term player? Right. Is he going to be a core piece of this franchise? Because so many of these players are already locked up to long term deals. Now, can he be another franchise piece? He doesn't even have to be a franchise cornerstone or a pillar. He just has to be a part of this mix. And sure, if he wants to become a five war player, then amazing. Right. Nobody will ever trade with Alex Anthopoulos again because he he just pulled the heist of the century because all the Braves really gave up was uh, salary relief. But even if he's just okay, I mean, he, he doesn't have to be a star. And if he's just fine out there, you're not committed to anything long-term with the contract. You can let him go out there. He's only 23 years old. Feels like he's been around forever because he was a high-profile draft pick with the Mets. And then he was the piece in the Edwin Diaz-Robinson Cano trade. And then he came up with Julio Rodriguez in Seattle. And they were kind of seen as the Freddie Freeman-Jason Hayward pair of a decade ago with the Braves. And while Julio has been fantastic, Kelnick just never hit his stride. And then he broke his foot in the summer last month. And it just kind of torpedoed his season. And I think just coming to Atlanta, man, for my money, there may not be a better group at developing hitters in baseball right now. Uh, I'm just, I'm really excited to see what, what Kevin Seitzer in the front office do with his swing. Yeah, we're focusing obviously on these previews much more about the, this coming season that's about to happen. But I'm glad you made that point because Kelnick is under routine control until 2029 is when he's a free agent. So if it were to work, even like you said, on the level of just like an above average regular or an average regular, there's a lot of potential value there in a set it and forget it left fielder who would be fairly cheap for several more seasons. And, um, you know, it's not realistic that every single guy could be a star like the rest of the lineup happens to be other than shortstop. But um, if he's somewhere between Arcia and everybody else, that would be a, a very nice player to have for relatively cheap long-term in left field. Cause he's, by the way, he's still 24 years old. He'll be 25 later this summer. So uh, not a bad place to be in left field. Um, we can leave it there, on, there now on Kelnick. Cause he's obviously been a topic all winter long. So if you want more on that, we talked about him a ton post trade in the archives. The other guy we should get to before we get to Ronald Acuna it's Michael Harris, who I know we both love. He's about to be 23 years old this coming week. He's already basically a star-level player. Um, I pulled this stat, Scott. I'll throw it to you. Uh, he debuted on May 28th, 2022. So almost two years ago at this point. But it was not opening day two years ago. It was you know mid-season. Since that point, he is sixth in all of baseball among outfielders in Fangraphs 4. So he, essentially... He is the sixth best outfielder in baseball since then. He is 16th among all position players in Fangraphs War since the day he debuted in the league 
and he's still 22 at this point. He'll be 20, 23 next week. And that's all I tell you. It's kind of awe-inspiring. Like, he's basically been a star the moment he arrived. Rookie of the year winner, all that stuff. Like, he is, you don't want to oversell it, but he's already fantastic, and he's only getting better, potentially. It's kind of scary. If I was a fan of a different team, I would be asking myself, how do the Braves keep doing this? <laughs> yeah, it's true. Because it just doesn't happen, man. Like, he, Michael Harris would be the franchise cornerstone for what 80% of the teams around major league baseball in their lineup. Like, oh, like the guy, the guy who was on every promotional material, the guy who's on every poster and flyer outside the ballpark, the guy who's in the, the Twitter background of the main account, right? Like th- that is his talent. You just said sixth in war among all outfielders since he debuted less oh, than two years I, I, ago. I have, a, I have a comp for you, Scott, since you just said that. Let's do um, it. This is a non. Uh, I know a lot of our listeners don't want to don't like follow baseball a ton beyond the Braves, but I'll throw out the name Bobby Witt Jr. Bobby Witt Jr. has been very good, right? He came up in 2022. They're almost the same age. He's yeah, almost exactly the same age. He and Michael yes. Harris. Bobby Witt Jr. Kansas City Royals on yes. the Royals. He's he is by far their their franchise cornerstone. To your point, on all the marketing materials, etc. He was top 10 in MVP in the, in the American in American League last year. Like he's a very, very good player. Number one, Harris has been better than him so far through two years. They're the same age. Bobby Wood Jr., A is their best player, and B signed an 11 year extension worth $288 million about a month ago. They're essentially, I don't want to say they're the, they're the same player, but they are certainly in the same tier of player. They're the same age. He is their guy. And Michael Harris, if you just said national Q score on the Braves, is behind Ronnie, he's behind Olsen, he's behind Riley, and maybe even Strider, as far as the guys that you know are talked about nationally. And he signed a bargain based extension, which of course is the Braves' way. But like he he could easily be Bobby Witt Jr. as far as his like Q score and contract. And instead yeah. he signed for like a quarter of that. And he's just this guy who's awesome. Yeah. It's it's unbelievable, really. I mean, you, I think Bobby Witt is a perfect comparison. Very talent, similar players in their skill set. Maybe not perfect comps, but of course, that's really tough to do. But you're right. And Michael Harris, what, at least going into the season, is is top five on this team. Like, no one's saying Michael Harris is not a stud because he is. But he's just, you know, he's he's playing in the shadow of, like, perennial MVP winners and candidates every single year um, you know, going into the spring, I made a, a prediction that even though he has already been really good, I think Michael Harris is going to have a second breakout in 2024. Um, I think he has a real chance to be the, depending on the health of Ronald, the second highest war on the team with his mix of offense and defense and speed on the base pass. I mean, I think he has a sneaky chance at putting together a 30-30 season which is something that the aforementioned Bobby Witt did last year along with Ronald. So I just, man, there's so much to like about him. And even though offensively Harris was better, technically speaking, as a rookie, his overall batting profile last year was even better. Maybe the numbers, like how he performed and produced, weren't better than his rookie year. But it felt like just some of the things he did in the batter's box were really a step forward. And there are things that are only going to make him a better hitter moving forward. Yeah. And he had a really rough start last year 
which is part of why his numbers never caught up. He was he yeah he had a sub 500 OPS in the first you know month month and a half, um, and then after that he was essentially even better than he was as a rookie. So I'm going to trust the second half second you know last two thirds numbers more than the first third numbers. I would I would admit it's still an open question as to how good of a hitter it, that he is. Is that a fair statement to say? I feel like it is. Um, you know, it's it's a fair question because he it's not like he has ten thousand plate appearances. Yeah, but as I just said a moment ago, you know, he hit the baseball on the ground a ton as a rookie, right. and a lot of his production was fueled by a really high batting average on balls in play. That wasn't the case, especially once he got going last season. And that's what's right. really exciting. He started elevating the ball, was hitting it better. I mean, as we always say, if you hit the baseball on the ground, what is the absolute top outcome, right? Like maybe you perfectly place it and it's a double or a triple down the line. But if you start hitting the ball in the air, man, really good things can happen. Yeah, we agree. I think it's more of degrees. Like, I think that we kind of know through about a thousand plate appearances that Michael Harris is a good hitter. I don't know if we know he's going to be a great one. It's kind of the only, that's the only real. That's fair. Delineation. And again, we just, I think it's pretty clear that by our intros here that we like Michael Harris quite a bit. I think he's going to be awesome. And I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but Michael Harris's base running and elite defense and center field make it to where he doesn't have to be a great hitter. He can be a good hitter and still be a superstar level player, which I think we've already seen him kind of do that to this point. Uh, I think this would be a big year and kind of finding out a little bit more about the offense. Um, but your points are great about last year. He hit, the, he hit the ball hard. He got on base at a higher level, struck out less, all that stuff. He doesn't walk a ton. That's a small concern, but guys can do that. We've seen you know, his teammate Ozzy Albies never walks, and he's been a star level player for several seasons. And Michael Harris is a better defender than Ozzy. So, all that said, like, I think we know he's awesome already. The only difference between what he's been so far. And like a MVP candidate is a leap on offense, like just at, at the plate. Like, cause you know, last year, just to use the internal comparisons, the two Braves MVP candidates, the one, the guy who won going away in Ronnie and Matt Olson, who was right on the doorstep of that, you win MVPs on offense at the plate. That's where you win MVPs. Um, you could be a top 10 vote getter doing what Michael Harris has already done. It's just like, and again, we're putting in a very rarefied error here for a reason. As I almost said earlier in my spiel here that I, I would not fall on the floor if Michael Harris won the MVP this year. I'm not predicting that to happen. Don't yeah. get me wrong. But like, that's a non-zero chance. Yes. And, and how many guys can you say that about in, in baseball? Like, how many guys could you say there is a non-zero chance they win the MVP this year? It's probably not 20 players long. Well, and it's like four in the Braves lineup, which is crazy, right? Yeah, like no, I think, I think he, de- he definitely joins... Healthy Ronnie Olsen and Riley as guys yeah. who I believe are capable of. And I think it would be fair to put Michael fourth on that list because of the offensive numbers. And again, that's you win offensive, you win MVP with offensive numbers. And he's not, I would say, super likely to put up what you would need. But if your 30 30 chance comes true and he plays elite, elite defense, that's an MVP candidate a lot of years. Maybe not last year because Ronnie was an alien last year. But in a lot of seasons, 30-30 with great defense in center field would get you almost there. Yeah, and I think that's why and we're going back a year and a half now, but that's why we were so excited about this long-term deal. Oh, because yeah. even if he was just an average hitter and in his age 21 and 22 seasons, he was well above average. 
But even if he was just an average hitter going forward, the defense and the speed make him a very, very valuable player. He basically becomes, I mean, Ender Inciarte was the poster child, right? Like great defense, gold glove defense, good on the bases, and just an okay hitter. And so far through the first year and three fourths, well ahead, miles ahead of what Ender ever did. And we know that, I mean, there's just so much value in that. So uh, if you're telling me that Michael Harris, this time in a year, we are talking about a player who has made the next step in his progression. And that's something the great ones do. They make that big leap, right? They, they flip the switch and they become really good. But man, if he can become great and enter that elite tier, he's already been really good. But man, if, if there's another layer here, I mean, just how exciting it's going to be to watch him play every night. I'm not going to jinx it. We're all knocking on wood here as we talk. But uh, I think there's a decent chance that um, the Braves are cheating with their contracts conversation gets louder again if Harris has a breakout this year. Because his deal, and we we, lo- we loved it in the moment, like you said, not to rehash it, he's under control till 2032. And I mean, it is incredibly cheap, Scott. Like it really is. Like it's it's almost on that same level as like, Ronnie's contract about how how favorable it is as a as as a team. And granted, Ronnie is now the best player in the world, so that makes it a little bit different. And Michael Harris probably won't be that. But uh, oof. I mean, he's making five million this year, eight million in the year after that, then eight, nine, ten, ten, twelve, and then two club options. Like man, that is. <laughs> uh, we'll we'll this, leave it there for now. But come this on. is what makes Alex Anthopoulos so good at what he does. He got that deal done Michael's rookie year. And as soon as it was clear he was a, that he was a guy, basically. He was the dude, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. The difference between Alex Anthopoulos and uh, whoever is running the Kansas City Royals these days, Dayton Moore is gone. Uh, that is the difference. And that is why Alex Anthopoulos is, for my money, the best in the game at what he does. Because they saw this was clearly a dude, a 21-year-old at the time. They said, Michael, you signed this deal. You are guaranteeing yourself 70 whatever million dollars it was. I think it was 72, 72 million. Yeah. $72 million guaranteed at age 21. That is so much money. You couldn't blow that if you tried. And then he's done at 30, right? Like his contract is up at age 30. That's why Alex Anthopoulos is great. It made sense for the Braves. It made sense for Michael Harris and his family and his loved ones. And for the Royals, they could have gotten probably a similar deal done with Bobby Witt as a rookie when he was just okay, right? Like there was the flashes, but he wasn't setting the world on fire. And then the the switch flips this past season and he becomes a legitimate MVP candidate. And now they're having to pay him $280 million. And good for the Royals for doing that deal and for keeping Bobby in town for the next decade. It really just goes to show the Braves have been aggressive on all of these extensions. And I mean, we're only a couple years in, Brad, but they all look really, really good right now. Yeah, we'll move on. But um, that's a great point you made, because if, if the Braves tried to extend Michael this winter, he would have been making Riley money. I'm not sure he would have yeah. gotten what Bobby Wick got, but he would have gotten about what Riley got, I think. And, um, and that goes to the face of the franchise that Bobby Witt yes. is. There's some tax on that for sure. Yeah. Michael Harris just being a really good player on a really good team. Yeah. But I mean, the, the gap, the gap between what Harris signed for and what Riley signed for is enormous. So that's, uh, that's a very rough, I'm, I'm not trying to say it's exactly that, but that's a very rough 
um, difference between what he could have gotten if he waited a year later and when they actually signed him. So um, we'll focus on this season again, but uh, he's going to be very good. We'll have predictions on that, I'm sure. But um, just to wrap it up on, on the center field side, the Braves have the number one projected center field situation in the National League, and that's essentially all Michael Harris. They're number three at Fangraphs in all of baseball at center field. So that can, again tells you that's essentially a Michael Harris projection that he is projected as a top three center fielder in baseball this year at the age of 23. So not yeah. bad company to be in, I would say. No, those don't just come around every so often. I mean, just um, I think if we're looking for things that Michael can improve upon, we talked about his on-base percentage and his walk rate are not great to be blunt. Um, yep. Four and four and a half, four point seven percent career rate in the a thousand plate appearances. I would love for that number to get up to even seven or eight percent. It's only going to help him. He's gonna if he can become a little more patient. He's gonna work himself into better counts, more favorable pitches. Get into those two zero and three one counts where hitters who are good just kill the baseball when they're ahead like that. Um, that's really for me the only real thing left for Michael to figure out offensively is just becoming a little more rounded and getting on base at a higher clip. Yep, that's right. And that is the the step to make between being, like we talked about, like a, a pretty good hitter and being an elite one. Uh, maybe a little bit more power, but especially the, the on-base ability. Because if you just, you know, either one, either you get to that 30 home run threshold with your slugging percentage going through the roof, or you take more walks and get on base more. Obviously, ideally, you would do both, and then you become a fantastic superstar player. But if either one or the other would be enough, especially with, again, the defense and the speed, et cetera. But we'll leave it there for now. Michael Harris, we believe in him very obviously. Um, this guy is Ronnie, of course, in right field. We already acknowledged the injury stuff looming here, so uh, put a question mark on that. These numbers are pulled before that. But uh, I think it's fair to say that he has at least an argument as the best player on the planet. You could argue for one Shohei Otani, um, but I don't think there's an argument for anybody else. I think it's essentially Otani and Ronnie. Is there anyone else you can make an argument for? Aaron Judge or something? I don't know. Oh, yeah. No, Judge is interesting if he could ever. I mean, he stayed healthy for basically one year and we saw what he did. Um, you know, Judge, if he's plays 162, which is far from a guarantee, He's probably in the mix. Mookie Betts um, I, is 31 I love, now. Yeah, yeah. I love Maybe. Mookie. And now he's a second baseman where... Yeah, well, offense, so weird. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, they just move p- pieces around like it's a big puzzle out there in LA. Um, but no, I mean, for my money, especially with Shohei coming off, probably a Tommy John. I yeah, don't yeah know but he can't, he ever... can't... At the very least, he can't pitch this year. He's not pitching. Yeah. So, so um, in a year... If you don't if, let Ron, if you don't let Otani pitch, which this year he won't be able to... Ronnie's a better player. Yes. Um, and, and Otani's going to DH. So that limits right. him. Significantly. That's that's kind of why. I mean, I think just there are guys that you might say, you know, although last year, Ronnie was also the best hitter in the world. I would argue that. Um, I'm not 100% convinced that he is definitely the best hitter on the planet, but he might be. <laughs> and uh, he has yeah. more other stuff, obviously the speed, et cetera, than, uh, than someone like Shohei does when he's not pitching or that Judge does. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. I just wanted to leave with that because he, he's coming off a, a unanimous MVP season. And uh, this is, there's a lot of crazy Ronnie stats, but this is maybe my favorite one for this year. Zips, which is run by Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs, does a great job with this, but that's kind of the gold standard projection system th- these days. Ronnie has a 7.6 war projection. That's extremely high. Projections, if you don't know this, 
kind of pull everything to the middle. That's like what they do. Like they're kind of, you know, they're supposed to be mean median projections. That's a ton of war for a projection. The next closest guy in all of baseball is 5.8. So 7.6 for Ronnie and number two in baseball is 5.8. That is a massive, massive difference for a projection preseason. I can't explain to you how big, yeah. how big that gap is. That's massive. No, he is, Ronald is in his own atmosphere. And what's crazy about his production last year, we talked about offense was phenomenal, but defensively, he was not graded out well at all. No, he was not. And we could the probably- arm, the arm, the arm was his range was not. He was not moving well. Yes, there. and there were a couple of things that kind of tanked his numbers a little bit. And I'm sure that he's still in the back of his mind has some PTSD from the uh, ACL injury. But I mean, the sky is truly the limit for this guy because as we're going to talk about here, because you have some great stats, Ronald actually underperformed a little bit last season, even with his gaudy (laughs) numbers where he led the national league and basically every statistic that counts, he actually underperformed based on how hard he hit the baseball, where he hit the baseball. I mean, he is just a cyborg and goodness, let's hope that his knee is healthy because, man, he it could. I mean, he could be even better. I'm not necessarily predicting that he's going to be better than last year because he was so damn good. But there's a real world where 2024, if his health cooperates, could be even better than last year. Yeah, obviously, knee caveats apply. And I do think it is probable that he does not run as much as last year. Like, he obviously stole 70 bases. That became a, a whole pursuit of history that he was on. He might do it again, but um, I wouldn't necessarily project that, but he will steal some bases. But last year, I'll just say this, like there's his actual stats and then there's his projected stats. And I know some of this is a little bit nerdy, so forgive us. He led the National League last year in stolen bases, hits, runs scored, on-base percentage, OPS, and total bases. Number one in the league. He also had 41 home runs, which was near the top of the league. He had 35 doubles. And like you just alluded to, he underperformed his actual batted ball data. Like the way that I would say this is like, it was one of the more insane batted ball profiles I've ever seen. And like, and I looked a lot in preparation for this podcast. Um, He led the national league in X Woba, which is essentially an all encompassing, you know, batted ball stat. And he's still underperformed that number by a lot. He was number two in the National League in both batting average and slugging percentage. By the way, Matt Olson led his slugging percentage. And Ronnie's expected batting average was 20 points higher than he actually hit. And he finished second in the league in batting average. His slugging percentage was almost 600, number two in the league. His expected slugging percentage was 64 points higher than it actually was. So essentially... We didn't have the full stat cast suite of data with Barry Bonds, but that is like the most recent comparison for what Ronnie did as a batted ball profile. Maybe you could argue Aaron Judge in his huge home run season a couple of years ago in New York. That'd be fair to say he was obviously mashing the ball, but the combination of it's not just power. Ronnie, again, hit 337 last year. If you're an old school batting average person, go with that. It's a massive number. His OBP was 416, led the National League. So it wasn't just power. He not only ran, he led, the league in, he led the league in hits, something that like power hitters don't usually lead the league in hits. Like when's the last time that a guy who's capable of hitting 41 home runs led the league in hits? Yeah. You don't usually it, do that. 
it doesn't usually happen, right? Like that's what made like Albert Pujols such a remarkable hitter, right? Because he would not only mash, but he had a really high batting average. And he still walks. It's not like Ryan doesn't take walks. Like he still yeah. he still takes walks. Like he still had a what? I mean, he had an 80, 80 points higher on base than he the batting average. Like he still took a lot of walks and hit with power. I mean, it's it was a I'm sure we're sounding like unhinged, but it was truly an insane performance last year. Um, and well, given his age yeah. and the bad at ball stuff, like you can't just write it off and be like, okay, it was a one off. No, I don't think it, I don't think it was. And I think out of all of these numbers, the one thing that might honestly be the most impressive, at least to me, is that he only struck out 11.4% of the time. Right. Compared to, compared to, compared to previously what, like that was the, that was the one crazy change. Like you're right. Like for to hit like that for power with that strikeout rate is like, I don't even know what to say about it. He cut his strikeout rate in half. Quite literally. It was 23% career coming into the year, maybe 24%. I think it was higher than that. Yeah. It was even, it was like in the mid 20. Yeah. I'm looking at it now. He never had a a single season below 23.6% before last year. Yep. And just overnight off the ACL, cut it in half to 11%. And when you hit a baseball as hard as Ronald hits a baseball, you don't want him striking out. And I know there's like this whole philosophical debate about strikeouts good, strikeouts bad. I I think longtime listeners know that Brad and I ultimately don't care about strikeouts a whole lot. But man, it I, of course we want the guys to not strike out. It is a fact that if you strike out, you have no chance of doing something good. Doesn't necessarily mean if you don't strike out that you're a good hitter because there are a lot of players who don't strike out very much, but they just aren't great hitters. That's not wrong to Cunha Jr. He hits really well as well as basically anyone on the planet. And he cut his strikeout rate in half, which is unbelievable for a player who swings as hard as he does. He just he works the count so well, even when he goes down like 0-2 in the count. Feels like Ronald's never really out of it. I think he had the highest uh, performance on 0-2 pitches in the major leagues last year, which is really tough to do, especially the way that pitchers have just gotten so nasty with strikeout stuff. I mean, just a special player. Yeah, he's unreal. I mean, it's just, I mean, we could do this all day long. I have future stats. We could. We don't have to give them all. <laughs> Basically, every projection thinks he's going to be uh inner circle Hall of Famer. Uh, the top two comparisons and zips for his career are Willie Mays and Frank Robinson. I don't know if you know who Frank Robinson is if you're young on this podcast, but Willie Mays is pretty famous. And Frank Robinson is an inner circle Hall of Famer in his own right. So uh, not bad a place to be. Obviously, knock on wood for all the knee stuff. But uh, I think we have, we've we got our, our point across, Scott. He's pretty good at this point. Yes, a good baseball player, to put it as mildly as possible. Uh, and just another just awesome Ronald Acuna note here. Um, he is basically fluent in English now, which is incredible. Yeah, I did a whole interview that I saw in, in, in English this week. That was cool. Yes, was like, oh, he oh, met yeah. with, I think it was Harold Reynolds, and um, just talking about how happy he is in Atlanta and his MVP season and answering questions in English and, and responding in English. I mean, you can imagine how hard it is to play baseball at the highest of levels and then also become fully fluent in a second language. I mean, just awesome for him. Just really cool. And, um, you know, I think we've seen Ronald these past couple of years really just kind of grow up as an adult and become, you know, it's easy to forget a lot of the time these guys are 21, 22 years old 
God knows I did stupid stuff when I was 21 years old and I was not on television every single night when I was doing it. So, I mean, just a, a tip of the cap to Ronald too. I saw that interview a couple of days ago and just, just awesome stuff. Yeah. He's, he just turned 26. The sky's the limit. Um, still under routine control until 128, which is wild to say out loud, but um, yeah, hold your breath until Monday. But as long as he is out there, there is every reason to believe that he may not win the MVP again, but he is, um, a leading contender at the very least every year until he's not. And uh, we'll leave it there for now. That is all three starting spots in the outfield. Again, we'll save Marcel till the very end of the podcast for the DH spot. We should at least talk about the names who are at least in camp with the Braves in the backup outfield spots. Cause we sort of alluded to some external options earlier in the podcast. There are six guys who have major league experience who are on the spring roster only two of them are on the 40 man right now. The rest are minor league or we, you know, spring training invite kind of guys. Um, JP Martinez and Forrest wall are the two guys on 40 man on the 40 man. Martinez was traded for in January. Uh, Forrest wall. We all, we all remember from last year. He's essentially the speed base running guy. Martinez is pretty similar. He also stole 38 bases last year with the Rangers in AAA. Um, I noticed that Mark Bowman projected Martinez to be on the roster uh, three or four days ago and wall to not be, I don't know how committed Mark is to that, but those, those are the two guys on the 40 man. And then after that, you have Luke Williams, Eli white, Jordan Luplo and Lurie Garcia, who are all names. I mean, I personally, I would have zero confidence in who's going to make the team out of these, out of these six guys, honestly, zero. Yeah. Just that, it's just, yeah. it's just notable to me that two of them are on the 40 man. So that's always, it's always, at least a small advantage is being on the 40-man roster, and Martinez and Wall are on it. Yeah, small is probably the key word. Small advantage. Small. Yeah. Um, it, it's going to be a real battle. We'll see with, with Ronald's knee not to become repetitive, but we'll see. I think if there's something significantly wrong, I guess, then they would add uh, an outfielder to the mix. Because, I mean, quite honestly, if you took these six or seven names and you molded into, like, one player, that player would be pretty good. But for the most part, all of these guys do like one thing pretty well, but not a whole lot else. So it's a real battle. I mean, I think there's some, a couple of these guys have a lot of speed. A couple of them grayed out really well defensively, right-handed, left-handed, younger, older. I mean, it really is kind of a real blend. So we'll see. It is one of the few true roster spots up for grabs here over these last three and a half weeks of spring training. So um, I have no real read. I'm guessing when Mark Bowman does his roster projection this upcoming week, it'll have more new names on there because I'm not <laughs> sure. I mean, the Braves probably don't even know, to be honest. No, they don't. They don't know. I mean, for instance, like Forrest Wall is seen as a no bat guy and he's actually raking in spring. He has three home runs. He's actually mashing. I don't know if that matters at all, but it's early. But I do think based on what we've seen with our eyes that Forrest Wall, Forrest Wall can run and defend. And that's valuable. They talked about speed being available on their on their bench. That's probably worth noting. Luke Williams can play the infield as well, which is, I think, notable here if they want to go a little bit more malleable on the bench. His bat is not anything sexy, but he can play infield and outfield. And that's actually the only, I think he's the only guy, because even Fletcher and Guillaume are only infielders. Williams, in theory, can play all of the infield and outfield spots, which is appealing. Uh, Eli White's a good defender in the outfield. Jordan Luplo might be the best hitter on paper of these guys, but wasn't great last year. Lurie Garcia is pretty old. He's 33. Uh, he's been around for a long time, but hasn't really hit at any point. So I don't know, man. 
But I will say this. I guess I'll, I guess I'll just ask you. I'm not in love with any of these guys having to play very much. No. Like, I'm not trying to be mean to any of them. I think that like Forrest Wall is a is a great 26th man on the sure. roster to just yes. pinch run, especially especially in the playoffs. I think he's a much more idealized, you know, Jared Dyson in the playoffs kind of guy. Um yeah. versus having to play and hit. Um Martinez, I don't know anything about to be honest. I mean, I, I've read about him, but he, he was not he was not with the team until Jan- until January. He's also about to be 28 years old. So it's like some spring chicken. I just there isn't a lot to be super excited about. Uh, just to put a, a point on this, Bowman did project Luke Williams to make the team as well. I think probably because of the overall utility on the bench. Because with these short benches, a lot of teams are just like carrying guys who can play because who have all the gloves, so to speak. They can just in a pinch play everywhere. There is some value to that, which might I think that might put him over the edge. But who knows, man? I'm just guessing. Yeah, and like set aside the Ronald meniscus injury. Now, let's say that in May, Jared Kelnick pulls something and he needs to miss three weeks. You know, would would it be fine if Forrest Wall and Jordan Luplo formed a platoon and batted ninth? And sure, just you know, you tell them don't make any mistakes and go out there, but you're not really relying on them. I think a couple of weeks of that is fine. Agreed. But if it was something more significant, whether it's you know early in the year or midseason, I do think, I mean, none of these guys on a consistent level have ever produced. Uh, Lou Blow had one good year, but it was in 2019. Uh, guys like JP Martinez, I mean, he he has some tools, but he's 28 years old and hasn't done it yet. So I don't know how you can bank on anything. And that's probably the case for a lot of these players here. So um, it's a real battle. Hopefully all three outfielders are healthy and log 140, 150 games this season. Um, I think ultimately though, if there was a serious injury, I would imagine the Braves would have to go out and add somebody just because I'm not sure how you can trust any of these players. Yeah, we are on the same page with that, and uh, it's a big TBD. That's the one kind of risk about doing these previews this early with three-plus weeks to go is that we just don't know. But um, these guys are all – they're not exactly the same, but they're all they're all similar enough to where it's kind of a shrug of our shoulders at this point in time. Uh, lastly, on this preview, the final position player that we have not previewed yet is Marcelo Zuno. And uh, interesting because, like, obviously he's going to be the DH until he's not. Um, he had one of the more insane turnarounds in recent memory on the field. He, of course, hit at an MVP level in 2020 in the shortened season, was awesome that year. Um, then he got hurt and then arrested in 2021, and he was not playing well before that. He was then awful in 2022. And my favorite side of the day, probably, he had a 397 OPS in April of last season, coming off of two bad years in a row. I mean, he was incomprehensibly bad for about two full years. He had the fifth worst war in baseball over 190 games. He was awful. And then suddenly overnight, he essentially became a top 10 hitter in baseball last year. From May 1st on, he was a top 10 hitter in all of baseball in several stats. WRC plus, OPS, home runs. And it was like, you can't fake that anyway, but it also was backed up by his batted ball data. So Scott, I got to be honest with you. I have no idea what to make of that. No, <laughs> uh, it was one of the greatest and wildest in season turnarounds I have ever seen in season and multi-season. I mean, again, yeah. it was like he had one bad month. Like, I think people have talked about this. Like he had the, yeah, he was awful in April, but he was awful in April after having two bad seasons in a row. 
Like it was yes. I, I can't express to you how weird this was. And he's it in his mid thirties, right? Like he's, not, he's not a kid. This this was not a late bloomer where he was a mega prospect and then he had a bad couple early seasons. Then the light clicked. Like no, he he was. I mean, you and I. Let's let's be real, Brad. Every week for like the month of April, you and I were were talking for a couple of minutes about oh. is it finally time? <laughs> is, is it was it not. Time? By the way, and I'll, I'll say this: I, I don't often report on the podcast. Um, I say that most of the time for my Hawks work. I can tell you that even people around the team were having the same conversation. He was he was pretty close to being cut a few times. Yeah, I could I could pretty much report that with some with some safety. Not even just I'm not talking about the writers. I mean them too, but people around the team, people that work for the team. It was a conversation about what, whether they were going to move on from him, and by move on I mean cut because he couldn't really be traded with that much money on his contract with the way he was playing and the off field baggage. Like he was bad enough that they really seriously thought about cutting him. And then he, and then again, he became a top ten hitter in baseball the rest of yeah. the year. It was insane. <laughs> a nine seventy OPS. There was that series in Miami against the Marlins where he went nuts. I think he had five home runs in three games. Yep. And everyone was kind of looking around, like, "Is this real? Was this <laughs> Luke? Was this him just getting payback on his old team? Like, what is this?" And then he he did it for another week. And the conversation was, okay, maybe he's figured something out. He's always hit the ball pretty hard. And then he did it another week and another week. And then by the end of the season, he was genuinely one of the better hitters in the National League, which is wild. I mean, how I don't know what you can realistically project for this upcoming year. Uh, I would imagine, and, and let's hope, that it's more of the 2023 Marcelo Zuna than the 2021 and 2022 we mentioned he had a good batted ball profile. It wasn't like he lucked into it with some crazy fluky batting average on balls in play. No. Um, a lot of power. I mean, he's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, he's a tough player to project, but based on what he did over the last four or five months of last season, I think you just kind of have to hope that that is the same Marcelo Zuna who shows up and, you know, he is a uh, technically could be a free agent at the end of the year, although I believe the Braves have a club option on they him do. for 2020. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's um, about club option. That's so, which for the longest time we thought was for sure going to be declined. Oh, and then, it was going to be the easiest decline in, you know, in years for the Braves. And then he became this like unbelievable power source in the middle of the order, batting behind their. A very legitimate MVP candidate, Matt Olson and, and Austin Riley. And I mean, just what a remarkable turn. I mean, good for Marcel. I mean, he's a human just like all of us. I'm sure he heard the noise and rightly so. But uh, yeah, man, just these numbers are wild to see after the April and the prior couple of seasons that he had. Yeah, I mean, there's it's a hard conversation to have. You know, the off-field stuff is still there and it doesn't get talked about as much anymore, but it's it's still there and um, but, you know, he was incredibly good last year. And, you know, the safe bet as far as the projection is concerned is to say not as good as last year and better than the year before. That's kind of what every system would tell you. Zips is kind of in the middle. Like they have him for 25 home runs this year in 120 games or so. Um, I would buy that. You know, obviously not the same player as last year, but better than the guys the year before. That is the ultimate cop out, but it's probably just true. I would be surprised. I wouldn't fall on the floor. I'd be surprised if he was the same guy he was last year because it was just, he was so good that, I mean, for most players, most non-Ronald Acuna players, I would project some regression from last year from what Marcel actually did. 
and he is 33 years old. Like that's not, that's not, it's not over the hill, but that's uh, a time when a lot of guys tend to slow down. So we'll see. Um, but I mean, as far as the projection is concerned about what they're going to do, he's going to be the DH. I mean, it would take, I don't know about you. I think it would probably take two months, maybe longer than that of him playing terribly for them to actually consider moving on as far as like the position is concerned, because yeah. number one, he has a record of being good and then not good at all, but also mostly good. And number two, they don't really have another option. I mean, we could get into this now. If something happens to Marcel for a month, I would guess it'd be a, it would be a lot of the, of the other catcher, whether it be Murphy or Darno DHing most nights, if they didn't have Marcel, because we just laid it out in the outfield, their backup options in the outfield are not hitting options. They're all these like, plug and play defense defender speed types. And it's the same in the infield. They don't really have like a lot of teams have had that like bopper pinch hitter on their team. The Braves don't have that guy. It's the other catcher. It's kind of it. I mean, once I'm seeing something that, uh, that you're not seeing internally, they don't really have a backup, a quote unquote backup DH. It's kind of like maybe you have some guys have a day off every once in a while. If Ronnie has to DH to to kind of stay fresh, then sure. But if Marcel just got hurt, they don't really have a guy to plug in. No, not really. Uh, I would, as you said, I would imagine it would be a rotation of the catchers. Uh, Luis Guillorme is mildly interesting. I mean, he's he's twenty nine years <laughs> I mean, old. I, I guess, but not really, not really a DH. <laughs> like, not really. No, I mean, he is not the typical profile. He has no power. He is basically a singles or hit one in the right spot for a double. But he also doesn't strike out. I mean, he's had he had some okay. He has a career ninety five WRC plus in mostly a backup role in New York. But I mean, the, I think it goes to show and maybe proves our point that something very weird would have to happen with Marcel, where you know it's it's the Fourth of July and he's still not hitting. Then sure, maybe you make an adjustment. But they would trade. They would just trade for somebody. They, there's no way yeah. they would just plug in somebody that they already have. Again, maybe it's the catcher. Maybe Darno is just like raking. To the point where they just have to get him in the lineup more often. I, I can't imagine any other scenario. They're the other catcher is the only guy who is even comparable projection there. So I mean, on the bright side, it's not hard to find a DH. Like famously, when the Braves overturned their outfield in twenty in twenty twenty one, it was a lot of like corner outfield DH types that they acquired: Soler, Duvall, Rosario. They're all kind of that you know third outfielder DH bat kind of guy. Those guys are available. So if they had to find one, they'd find one. But uh, I think it's going to be Marcel until Marcel proves otherwise. And based on last year, I mean, there's no reason to think he won't be pretty good. Yeah. I mean, his. I'm looking at his stat cast profile. I mean, he does a lot of things in the batter's box that you want your hitters to do. Yeah, he rakes. He he does. Um, you know, he's, he's in his mid-30s, so he's not super old by any means. Uh, and he, you know, he has a real reason to keep performing. He's owed very real money next season if the Braves pick up the club option. So um, it's not like he's just a pending free agent and he doesn't have any, you know, any skin in the game. I mean, he has a lot to play for. Um, he is very well regarded and liked in the clubhouse. That is something that a couple of veterans last year, including Matt Olson, went out of their way to talk about how much uh, they enjoy playing with Marcel and having him as a teammate. Um, and a few others, I remember, I, I can't remember who, but, you know, he is a leader in the clubhouse, which is something that maybe a couple of years ago was was not obviously apparent. So um, he is, uh, let's hope that Marcel has another good year in the tank because, man, if he, he can give the Braves anything close to what he did last summer, I mean, you talk about just lengthening this lineup. I mean, that is just a real, real weapon to have in the middle of the order. 
Yeah, and there's the whole conversation we could have or not have about, you know, he's kind of a rare breed. There are not a ton of everyday DHs around the league that are just, they have to be in the lineup because they're so good. A few teams have them, but it's kind of a dying breed in some respects. I think there's only five or six in the whole league that are like firmly in their lineup every day who are just DHs because look, could they try Marcel back in left field at some point out of necessity? I guess they could. They don't want to. Like they're very obviously... I think it's been pretty well communicated that they don't like Marcel in the outfield, uh, nor should they. He's a very bad defender. He can't throw anymore, et cetera. So he's a true DH only. They could maybe fake it in the corner. Uh, we, we did mention on the infield preview, but if you missed it, I do think, and I think you said this as well, if Olsen were to have to go down, they could play Marcel at first, and they probably would try that at some point, but only because first base is relatively easy to play. I don't think he'd be great there either. <laughs> he's a DH. Yeah, he's DH. He could probably stand at first base with a first baseman's mitt and hopefully catch the balls that are, are thrown to him. And um, yeah, I, let, let's hope that situation doesn't present itself where Marcel has to play in the outfield regularly, just doesn't have great range. And he had the shoulder surgery a couple of years ago, so he just doesn't have he the just, arm. He can't throw. Yeah. <laughs> he just can't. It's actually kind of funny, to be honest with you. Um, like he he kind of throws like one Pierre. And one, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. one Pierre. <laughs> looked like a guy who couldn't throw like he was so skinny all that stuff marcel is this big bulking figure you would assume he'd be able to throw and he just he can't throw anymore. oh yeah he's a tank um, i mean he, yeah. he's a big dude um, so i don't know i mean we're we're off the rails but I, I think that uh if he's playing defense things have gone um suboptimally for the Braves. yeah so let, let's hope another 30 plus home runs coming from the dh spot again you just said not a lot of teams have just full-on boppers at the dh spot anymore like you know you're you're your dad's American league 20 years ago, where you had some guys who were just awesome de- designated hitters only. You just don't see it as much teams use it to rotate and get guys days off and, you know, and all, and all of that. So just a, a really good 2023 for Marcel. And I, I think it is fair to have some caution or maybe just not fully banking on this again in 2024, but let's hope that he has another great year and, and uh, keeps doing what he's doing. One more stat. Uh, Marcel led all of baseball in plate appearances as a DH last year. So just to put that in context, like he just, that's all he is. There were only three guys in all of baseball last year that had more than 500 plate appearances as a DH. And he was one of those three. Um, Only eight of those guys, only eight guys in baseball had more than 400 plate appearances at DH. Just to throw out there, like it's not a position that you just stick somebody at. In fact, the only other guy I can see looking at this list right now that is essentially only a DH at the highest level is Shoyotani this year because he can't because he can't pitch. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, maybe 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 if JD Martinez signs somewhere, he's kind of in a DH only. But he, I think he's still a free agent as of this moment, isn't he? Um, I believe so. Yes. Uh, old pal Jorge Soler was fifth last year in plate appearances at DH. He's kind of a DH only guy too. Like his outfield, he's better defensively than Marcel, but he's mostly DH at this point. So yeah, there's still some of these guys kicking around, but uh. The, the full-time everyday DH is uh, kind of a waning item, but the Braves have one, so there you go. Brad, we have covered a lot over the last hour plus. We uh, have indeed. It's time to sign off, Scott. Full, Get me yeah, out of here. a full outfield preview. Let's hope for anyone uh, you know, listening tomorrow on Monday or on Tuesday, you know, we'll, of course, know more about Ronald Acuna's knee here soon. Let's hope for the best, man. Just such a talented kid. Um, and even, you know, even if Ronald has to miss a little bit of time, nobody wants to be out on opening day, but – the Braves, I think, as we have outlined in the infield and now outfield and DH previews, 
There's just so much talent and so many good things in this lineup that the Braves will be fine. If Ronald's out for a little while, this lineup will be fine. And let's hope he's back out there uh, real soon. Cause I just, I mean, I love watching that kid play baseball. Yeah. We're in full agreement there for sure. Um, so certainly stay tuned to this podcast network and also to the website batterypower.com for full updates on Monday about Ronnie and his uh, prognosis with the knee. Also, we will have at least the two more definitive preview shows on between Scott and I about the rotation and also our final predictions. TBD beyond that, maybe news stories, all that kind of stuff on this on this podcast feed, but certainly you'll have beyond us, Sean and Steven and Chris, all for the price of $0. So please, please, please subscribe to the show on Apple and Spotify and Pocket Casts and Overcast, all those places that they like to listen to podcasts. We should be there. If we're not somewhere, let us know and we'll get that fixed as soon as we possibly can. Uh, I mentioned before, but just one more time, read the website that Chris Willis is the managing editor of, batterypower.com. Scott writes, uh, let's just say more than I do these days, but certainly there is uh, stuff there always on the written side to consume. Scott, where can folks find all of your uh, Braves musings on social media? That's right. I am at Scott Coleman 55. Brad is at BT Roland. Uh, a lot of good content coming on the site, on the podcast network. So please check it out. And thank you to everybody who has stuck with us. And I'll do my uh, my weekly plug. And Brad does so well. If you know anybody who likes the Braves but maybe doesn't listen to the podcast, please share it with them. Maybe they'll love it. Maybe they'll hate it. But at least it really does help us out when we spread the word. So thank you, everybody. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. <laughs>